What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the White Belt Podcast. Where each and every episode, it's my goal to bring you interesting and actionable conversations with experts at the intersection of movement and mindset so that we can live our fittest and most fulfilled life. And one thing that really takes us away from living that really fit and fulfilled life is pain. And that's why I'm really excited today to bring you this conversation with Zach Woodward. Zach has worked with literally anyone and everyone who's ever had knee pain. He's worked with professional athletes. He's worked with Division I athletes. He's worked with general population people. He's worked with people who are immediately post-surgery. He's worked with people who have had 10 surgeries. And through it all, he helps people get out of the pain that they're currently in and return to performance in sport beyond and above what they were able to do before through strength training. And this is a gap in the general health and rehab system that I think is so important that the subject is very close to my heart. And it's one that Zach speaks really, really powerfully on. He has a wealth of experience. And I'm really excited for you guys to get into this conversation. So without any further ado, please welcome Zach Woodward. Zach, first of all, man, I'm really stoked to have you here, dude. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, dude. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited to be here too. We had a chance encounter meeting in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the mountains. We locked eyes over a stake at Bali Time Chamber. <laughs> so... Yeah, dude. I'd love if you just kind of start off by telling me a little bit about your experience at Bali Time Chair and what was one of the biggest takeaways you had from that time you spent there. Yeah, Bali was was really, really incredible. Definitely very grateful to to Nico for the the thing that he's built out there and for that experience. It's definitely something that's incredibly unique, something that I'd never even heard of or never experienced before, which is one of the things that I was most drawn to. Of like there's lots of retreat centers and stuff like that out there where you go and you do a bunch of classes and all these things. And like, I think there's value with that, but a place like this where it's really just, it's, I've never seen something that's so open-ended. Like it's a Mm. place to come and work on whatever it is that you have to work on. There's no class schedule. There's no, like, there's no nothing. It's just kind of show up and, and do what you want. Some guys are strength coaches like you and me work on business stuff. Some guys like were Baki, they were like training like full time. Some guys were just like regular business guys. And so it was a, it was a really cool opportunity to just kind of work on the things that were were important to me. Um, and so for that, the the business side of things, the online business side of things being the most important. But in terms of, of takeaways, my two big ones were um, one that the kind of travel and kind of go like kind of work lifestyle, the experience that you're like about to jump on right now, like it's a lot more possible it's a lot more feasible than i necessarily thought it was um mm. like i kept i always have always thought about it as something that's like would be nice to do in the future five ten years down the road like this and that but like when i was there i was literally like like i'm making enough money to support myself doing this like if i wanted to i could have stayed and like just that realization of like if i wanted to go back sell all my stuff close my lease and just like peace out like i really could that an opportunity was there which is a really cool like realization um but even more so than that, like my biggest thing, I actually made a post about it when I, when I was leaving. It was just the, the environment itself. Like I've been always somebody who would consider myself like fairly disciplined, works fairly hard, like always had a lot on my plate, like trying to kind of push, grow, like all, all those sorts of things. Um, and it's always felt like a grind or like a push in order, in order mm. to do that. Like I'm always having to try and keep up with all the things that I have on my plate. I don't want to miss out on opportunities. Like almost at times, like kind of frantic, just like trying to keep all these plates that you have going, spinning at one time. And so when I was there, like I had some of the best training that I've had in a long time. I made some of the best business progress that I've made in a long time, like had great social interactions, like meeting new friends and stuff like that, but all in a place that was so much more, calm so much more like peaceful like it wasn't like i gotta wake up at 5 30 in the morning and i gotta start like doing like filling out my itinerary and doing all of these things um yeah, so it was much that. more like zen flow state almost um and so just the biggest realization from that of just when you when you remove all of the distractions that you have so much more time and opportunity and also just kind of mental space and stuff like that to let things kind of flow like it was so much more easy and natural to have the the success and the results and the productivity that i was looking for without feeling like i had to like just force it all the time um and so i think that was that was unexpected like i was going there like he advertises it as like the the dragon ball z hyperbolic time chamber like you're gonna be like 
busting your ass, like vomiting, training the hardest you ever have, like all this stuff. And like, we're training hard, like Andre Strong, some of those challenges. Oh my God, they were, they were killing me. Uh. But um, like <laughs> just to have the, so much more productivity from a, just again, like a place of calm and focus rather than like that kind of raw, raw bang your head against the wall, like, and just like smash through stuff was was very unique was very cool and that was that was definitely something that i'm trying to take with me and continue to implement now back in the real world yeah going back to real life i love that answer dude that was a really similar experience to my i was there for a much shorter time but exactly the same kind of thing that i felt stepping into there i mean like i almost didn't realize how much time i had or how much like it didn't take as much time as i thought to be really really effective I think it's that it speaks to the level of clarity and focus that I think both the space cultivated and also that I was able to find when I was there as well. Because I was like, I'd look back on like a few hours work and be like, damn, like I, I achieved so much. I moved myself so much further forwards. And I think just like when it, for me, when I was away from all of the other distraction and when I was just around, everyone else was doing the same thing. Very similar. I've been very, very disciplined and head down for the last couple of years, but I was surrounded by everybody else doing the same thing. There was always someone getting after it in the gym or someone who just absolutely dialed in and focused the work. So it wasn't going against the grain of anybody else. It was like it was just, you know, rising to the rising to the occasion and kind of fitting in with what everybody else is doing. So yeah, man, that was uh that was such a good experience. But I'd love for you to Yeah, kind that's of, there you go. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna jump in. Like that's a, a really good point to that as well. Cause like for me, my takeaway was about not distracting myself, which I'm definitely like very mm. guilty of. It's just so easy just to fall into stuff with your phone, like throwing a show on and, and like when you're having dinner and stuff like that and just how much that stuff adds up. But to your point of being in an environment where there's not like resistance to that, I think is also a piece that I hadn't, I hadn't even noticed that is, is definitely key to that as well. Like, it's not like I have to, there's nobody else that's doing that. So you're not pulled to do that as much as, as when you are back home. And so that's, that's a big piece as well. And isn't that so fucking such an interesting point, man? Like, isn't it crazy? Because like we all still had our phones. We all still had access to the internet. We all still had our laptops in any way that we could have distracted ourselves. But it's something about the focus and something about maybe just the 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 significance that we attach to that place or something like that. That it's I certainly didn't feel the need to kind of get real caught up scrolling on my phone or reaching for anything like that. You know what I mean? It's it's still it's so interesting that we can still have the ability. This is something that I've certainly taken forward into my life we can have the ability to distract ourselves and not do it. We can have all of the tools that can be, all the social media stuff can be terrible and can be, you know, dopamine destroying and all this stuff. We can have them available, but not choose to let them rule us. And that's a really big lesson that I took away from that. 100%. That's the biggest thing I've been trying to implement and stuff like that since I've been back of like, can I take, can I create that little environment here at home um, and just like be able to like, yeah, go through my day-to-day life and, not be on Instagram at every opportunity and stuff like that. It's yeah, it's, it's hard, but it's definitely, it's big. Like we do have that control at the end of the day. And so there's no one that's forcing us to. I would love for you to give us a little bit of background about how you got into working with knees in the way that you do. What was your personal story that led you to almost going down the path to make that an expertise in your craft? Yeah. So I almost like kind of fell into this almost, almost accidentally. Um, I got into strength and conditioning as a, as a soccer player, trying to improve athletic performance, bigger, faster, stronger, all of that stuff, trying to um, go play go play college soccer, which I was eventually able to do, um, but got hurt, had a really kind of rough recovery process um, physically yeah, and mentally, like- just broke, broke my ankle going into my freshman year of college. Um, then, so I'd already committed to the team, but was trying to then make it in. Got hurt again with like right when that preseason started. So missed kind of like a year and then just trying to get back, like just headspace was was not right. It took me a long time to finally like readjust to to the the speed of the game and, and everything like that and to feel like myself again. Um and so that kind of kind of railroaded my my playing career in college quite a bit. Um was something that really took me a while to recover from. And so that kind of piqued my interest in the whole injury, rehab, return to sports stuff to to begin with. Um, and started me on like the strength and conditioning journey as well. So I got into coaching when I was when I was there, um, and then came across so like Ben Patrick, the knees over toes guy, like early like late 2018, early 2019, kind of before he'd blown up on Mark Bell and Rogan and things like that, 
and got the opportunity to go and train with him in the in his gym. He was just a couple hours away from me in Clearwater. Um, and so got to see the stuff that he was doing in person, hear his story, see all the stuff that he was doing with his athletes and was was really, really interesting. Like the the stuff that they were doing in the gym was just nuts. Like they were just freaks rocking around left and right, like guys throwing down windmill dunks that you go up and talk to them. And you're like, yeah, I had three three ACLs. I thought I was never going to play basketball again. And then it was just like an NBA dunk show when you went to watch their their pickup game. So it was it was very compelling that something that they were doing was was right. Um, and so started using that for myself, but really for more of a like I was came in at it from a performance perspective of like by that time my ankle was fine. I've never really had major knee stuff. Like I was just trying to be be a better athlete. Um, and definitely like accomplished a lot with that. I was went from running a five two forty my freshman year of college as like a college athlete to like running a four six a four five now being able to dunk so like really have done a lot um and then several years later when I finally started to branch out doing my own thing coaching wise um, did several stints in different colleges and the, your typical like private sports performance facilities and stuff like that was kind of when you're as a coach just trying to start your own journey start doing your own thing like just taking whoever will come your way um, and so just any, any and all, uh, would be, would be clients. I'll, I'll take all of them. And so just with the skill set that I had from, um, using the ATG system and things like that, just, you get one guy with knee pain that you have results with, and then he tells a buddy and then that guy tells a buddy who has an ACL. And like, it kind of just slowly snowballed into like very organically into working with guys that had various knee things, ankle things, hamstring things, um, until it's built up like two or three years now where, yeah, working with guys coming off of ACL and MCL and meniscus and other knee surgeries is like 90% of what I do. Um, I'll take guys that have been through three, four or five, like injuries, surgeries, multiple PTs, multiple doctors, like have kind of given up hope on, on doing stuff. Um, and like, we'll, we'll get them right. Like I kind of jokingly will talk with people that I, I specialize in working with the the problem children, the ones that have yeah. tried doing all the things like that they're supposed to do and just haven't been able to get to to where they want to go. Um, and I try to I try to be the last stop on their on their journey, get them back to where they want to go and doing all the things that they like to do. That's sick, man. This is something I really want to linger on and dive a little bit deeper into because I feel like I'm really keen to dig into your expertise around knees and post rehab and back to sports and because this is a problem that plagues so many different people. The, the knee surgery is one of the most overprescribed in the world. There's so many people that have a lot of pain and want to do more athletic things but can't seem to get past this thing or feel like they they need to have surgery or go and have surgery but are never able to get back to that level of performance. But to me, it feels like almost there's like a mindset or like a narrative thing that's come that's been left over from previous generations of maybe more conventionally trained uh, you know, therapists and stuff like that what's the kind of old game or the old hat thinking around the knee surgery and how you get back to sports after that or maybe what you have to do or what you shouldn't do and then where do you differ and what kind of fundamental principles do you start to instill in people when they first come to you the there's definitely a it's starting to shift slowly but you do see like especially in the 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 medical field the physical therapy kind of field like that tends to be slower than say like the personal training strength and conditioning where you'll see guys be a little bit more kind of adventurous yeah. and and that sort of thing um and there's there's a lot of problems with the the old school model um the, the insurance based system is one um guys will typically get you get six months of of insurance in most cases for something that's a typically a nine to 12 month rehab process um so that's a major issue a lot of pts are seeing these guys like kind of once a week and like they're they've got three or four people that they're working with at a time you've got mom and pop on one table next to like a college athlete, like just the, the mm. environment is not, so they've got 20 pound dumbbells in the gym. Like the, the environment's not set up for high level athletics in the majority of cases. There are definitely exceptions or people doing great stuff out there in the PT space, but like by and large, it's really not set up to get people back to, as you said, return to sport or even just their previous level of activity. It's really designed to, to get people back on their feet, get people moving, be able to go through your, your daily life without a crutch, without your knee collapsing and that sort of thing, which is great. But there's, there's just a, such a big gap between like physical therapy and full-on athletic performance, personal training, your strength and conditioning coach. And there's, there's nobody in that gap. And that's where athletes are falling through the cracks. One of the reasons like 
the re-injury rate for for ACLs is one of the things that I I really harp on and, and really, really bothers me. Like if you want to look at the higher incidence of, of ACLs, that's one thing. Like maybe we can say it's out of our hands. It's lifestyle, it's sport, it's all these things. But okay, you've gotten hurt, you've had surgery. Now you get six months, nine months, a year of physical therapy to do things the right way. And yet we still have re-injury rates that are outrageous of the people that fully return to their sport, which is something like 60%, maybe 30 or 40% will return to that same level of sport. So maybe mm. you're a college athlete, like, but you get back to playing recreationally. Very few are getting back to that high level. Of that small percentage, then a huge number is either re-tearing or entering the other side within a year or two. So the stats around that are, are really, really not good. And to me, if we're doing all the things that we can and should be doing in that recovery process, those would not be as, as bleak as they should be. And so there, there's lots of things in there that's those, those reasons, that kind of insurance-based model, that environment, um, that lack of kind of return to sport, that lack of bridge between the physical therapist and the strength coach. And that's really where, where I try and operate. And that's where my niche is. Um, but I'm just, I'm just one dude. There's lots of people out there that are still falling through the cracks. The biggest difference between my training philosophies and maybe some of the more kind of traditional stuff, uh, the biggest one is probably intensity of like, we're just actually pushing these guys to a point where we can create an adaptation to get better. Mm. Most of these guys that come to me, whether they're at week three or month three or month six, like I'm hearing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, but we're kind of doing the same thing. It wasn't really that hard. Like you go in, you're on a table for 20 minutes, you barely break a sweat. Like if you're trying to come back from a surgical procedure and get back to high level activity, that requires a very intense stimulus if we're going to get an intense adaptation. And so most of them are not being pushed enough, not being stimulated enough to ever hope to get an adaptation that is going to be what they need to rebuild, to protect the knee, to build back muscle tissue, all of those things. Um, so that's the, the first one is intensity. And then mm. the second bit really comes down a lot to the, the system that we're using, a lot of the ATG stuff, particularly this full range of motion stuff. Um, so where you can get that deep knee bending really seems to do a lot of good things for the joint itself, all the internal structures, tendons, ligaments, connective tissue. So not only are we able to build up the, the muscle tissue, the armor in and around the knee, the VMO, the hamstring, all of that stuff, but we can also kind of work from the inside out as well. Um, just build up the, the integrity of all of that connective tissue. And so that kind of two-pronged approach of kind of inside and outside seems to do a lot of, of good things for people in these situations. And when you combine that and an intensity where we're actually challenging these guys, like trying to kick their ass in a way that's productive and makes them better, that's one of the reasons, or I think the biggest reason why I'm able to have success with some of these guys that are struggling with some of these more like traditional conventional systems and methodologies. One of the first things that starts to come to mind when I, when I hear this, because I, I have a lot of similar conversations. I work with a lot of people, not so much post-surgically, but definitely around like training-related pain, when they've had little minor tears and stuff like that, or they've just had chronic injuries. And often this is a lot of the narrative that they've been instilled from people that they've gone and seen. And again, there's great operators out there as well. But a lot of the, the general narrative I hear coming to me is a lot of fear-based stuff. There's a lot of fear and a lot of the, the I guess, the advice is around what you shouldn't do. It's like, oh, just make sure that you don't do this and make sure you don't do this and make sure you don't do this but you kind of end up painting yourself into a bit of a corner until the point where you can't really do anything. And not really many people are told what you should be doing or what you can do. And especially not just to get yourself to the point where it doesn't hurt anymore, but the point where you're like, how am I going to get back to what I, what, what I want to do with my body and, and, and how am I going to get closer to there? So when someone comes to you and you're like, we're going to use a lot of intensity, we're going to kick your ass a little bit. I can imagine that would also instill maybe a little bit of fear like, oh, I don't want to hurt myself in the gym after coming back from this thing. So how do you manage that kind of fear? And what, what are you talking about in terms of intensity? Where do you meet that person in order to start to get some intensity into their body without doing something that's crazy or you know dangerous in air quotes? Yeah. So I'm really glad you actually, you, you brought that up. That's a great kind of point to, to follow up right along with that because the within that narrative of intensity, like the kind of umbrella principle that we have over that, that I'll tell them from day one is that everything should be hard. Nothing should hurt. Mm. And so really like that, that pain threshold is the, is the kind of the line in the sand. 
of nothing that we do should cause pain during or after. Um, and so regardless of like, so no matter where you are, we can find a way where we can start to challenge you without things being painful, either in the session or kind of day after. And then we know we're getting a positive adaptation. Even if all I do is put you on the sled for 10 minutes at like a tiny, like a weight that feels very gentle, we just walk backwards. If that's all we did, we've gotten now, and that doesn't hurt, we're able to come back the next day, we've gotten a marginal improvement where the next day I'm just a tiny bit better and then a tiny bit better, a tiny bit better. And so stacking up those wins, and a lot of times it means starting smaller than these athletes like want to or think they're going to, mm-hmm. um, and then them showing them that that can actually be a lot harder than they think it is. But of having that, that kind of guidepost of not pushing through things that are painful, that's really the, the, the way that we're able to feel very confident that we're not doing damage and get them on board. The analogy that I like to use is most people are familiar with the basic premise of strength training, of working out. You go in the gym, you lift some weights, and you're actually damaging the muscle. So we damage the muscle, but we let it recover and it grows back stronger. So we like intentionally take one step back in order to take two steps forward. When we're pushing through things that are painful, we're typically doing more damage than we can recover from. That's kind of what that signal is saying. So we're kind of taking two steps back to only take one step forward. We're actually digging ourselves backwards. And so when you kind of have that kind of that analogy, it's something that's very easy for kind of athletes to understand. Then it's like, okay, okay. So now we don't want to push past that limit of things being painful. But the flip side is also true. Like, okay, so we have this line in the sand. We don't want to push through things that are painful. But as long as I don't do that, anything else is fair game. So now I know I can push myself as hard as I want to as long as things aren't painful. So I've had a guy as early as four weeks post ACL, still in his big cyborg knee brace and stuff like that, like barely able to do anything. But we did about 30, 45 minutes of um, resisted backwards work on like the non-motorized treadmill. We could like hold on so he could support himself just going backwards. Um, does really great things where we get a lot of blood flow, but very little loading for the joint. So it's great for kind of soothing healing. And then we did about 15 sets of calves and tips. So just blasted his lower legs, his calves, ankles. And he walks out of there with the best workout that he's had in six months. But it's all stuff that's not doing damage to his knee. And now we're getting stronger and setting him up to be a little bit better when he comes back. So it's, it's a really helpful tool for people because you can be really confident that as long as I'm not pushing through things that are painful, you're probably not overdoing it. But then as long as you're not pushing through things that are painful, the more you can push yourself the better you're going to be, the faster you're going to recover, going to recover, the stronger you're going to get all of those good things. I really love that simple heuristic around the two steps forward, one step back versus the two steps back, one step forward with pain. That's a super simple way to visualize it because in many ways in training, your entire game is just being above that minimum effective dosage and not being, uh, not being above that maximum recoverable volume. And I always kind of tell people that when we're, when we're injured, our margin for error is just slightly less and we need to be a little bit slower and a little bit more, you know, there's so many things that can work when we're healthy, but when we're injured or we're working around something or especially coming off surgery, there's just a little bit more, we didn't take a bit more care, maybe start out a little bit more conservative. But I think this is also so awesome and so important because a big reason, that the big amazing thing about training is helping people feel more confident and capable in their bodies. And when there's all this fear narrative instilled after you know, oh, you'll never do this again, or yeah, you can say goodbye to doing that in the future. That's such a disempowering narrative, man. And I'd love to ask you, like, where do you think, you know, so let's say someone has ACL surgery, and you can probably give a better example than I can. This is something that, you know, doctors can be like, you'll never be able to do this again. But then you have, you know, the clients of yourself, and you're talking about Ben Patrick, and we're seeing these guys throwing down Willow Dunks after three surgeries. So what's going on there? What is the, where is the perception that you'll never be able to do this again? Why is that being banded around so much? And what mechanically leads to them being able to reach these really massively high levels of performance that some people think should never be able to get to? Yeah, that's, that narrative and, and that language and that fear-mongering is something that is incredibly frustrating to me because it's so disempowering for, for anybody that hears that, especially from a, a person of authority. Yep. Um, At the same time, I do understand it though, where it's coming from, because from their perspective, they, A, they probably see the vast majority of people who never get back to wherever it is that they want to be, but also they don't have the 
the resources either themselves or people to send you to that have the tools and the skills in order to fix that. I think that's so from assessment. their perspective, like they're trying to keep you safe and not have you redo this again by like, yeah, it sucks that you could, that I'm telling you, you can never do this again. But from their perspective, I'm keeping you from going through this whole procedure again. And so that's, I, I can understand where they're coming from. I wish that they could maybe be more proactive or do more due diligence to try and find those resources of people that can, that can actually help them with that sort of thing. But if we looked at those same issues that we just talked about earlier of the standard physical therapy model of like just the, the base level of care and the statistics around that, they're looking at that and being like, look, you might want to be careful of all of these things because you're at risk for this. And so I, I understand that that perspective, it does just frustrate me because it is something that so many people will, will take to heart. Um, for me, one of the, the easiest um, kind of flips that I have on that is that I have, um, I have quite a few like special case studies of, of people that, like I said, were like the, the problem children that, that have gone through everything. But one in particular, I have a, a skier from Colorado who I worked with, like purely remotely, not even in person, um, who had nine knee surgeries combined between her two knees. Like literally we're on the, like, we're on the conversation, like on the phone call, like, and talking about trying to prevent like double digit knee surgeries. Like this is mind blowing to me. Like I didn't think this was possible. And she's still like, to her credit, incredibly like enthusiastic and kind of positive about being had a great attitude, which is a huge bit that I don't think people kind of understand or appreciate enough. But we were able to train together to build her a program to do all these things to where now she's been back skiing for an entire year. She's back doing her CrossFit class, like doing all these sorts of things, kind of pain-free, feeling fantastic um, and doing all the things that she wants to do. And so when I can bring up that case and look at somebody who's coming off of their first ACL, I'm like, look, like you're, you're good. Like there's <laughs> been worse. There's been people that are worse than you that have gotten the results that you're looking for. So for you, like I feel fairly confident in saying not just because I'm kind of naively optimistic and want to make people feel good, but because I actually have the evidence of this with people that I've trained, other people that I've seen that it can be done that look like this is this is possible. And so all of these these people that are telling you these things, they're not trying to be malicious. They just don't have this. They're just not working from the same body of evidence. They don't have the, the same tools and skill sets that we maybe do. Um, they're just a little bit further behind with some things and that's okay. Um, but we have the ability to, to do more than you maybe think we can. Um, and that's just one of the things that, that I try and get people to believe. But to be honest, I really tr don't do that much talking or harping on that in the beginning. I tend to just let the, the training itself kind of reveal that. Like genuinely from the first session that we do, like if we're doing things the right way, you'll feel better after the first, after the very first session, mm -hmm. people will come in and they'll be able to walk a little bit smoother. They'll have a little bit more range of motion, whatever it is. Like you're going to feel better after 60 minutes than you did when you walked in. So when they can get that immediate feedback of like, Oh, okay. This feels kind of good. Then they can start to see like the second session, they get a little more, the third session, they get a little more and the, they can start to see that they can do that for themselves. And to me, that's, that's even more powerful than me standing up here and preaching about how like, we're going to change your life and do all this stuff of like, <laughs> just show up a couple of times and we'll start to, you'll start to see that for yourself. I fucking love that, man. I really do. That's, that's exactly, it's, it's exactly the same thing that I love the most about training for, I think something that's beyond simply the way you looked or beyond just simply ticking a box because you heard that you should for your step count or something like that. When there's this, this cycle that you can get yourself into, by going into a process and coming out on the other end of like a relatively short amount of time and be like, I feel more capable than I was. This thing that I thought was holding me back, like pain, like fear, like lack of competence in any skill. And you can just go do a process of training with like, holy shit, all of these little ceilings I thought I had above myself, actually, maybe, maybe I'm just able to kind of break through those. And maybe they don't mean as much as I thought I did, as I thought I did when I was feeling more scared or when I was feeling more, less empowered. And that is a process I want to be able to give to as many fucking people as possible. And it's, and I think also what you did just there as well is really, really important because the more that you've got like the doctors and the physical therapists bashing the trainers and the strength and conditioning coaches and vice versa, the more friction that's going to create, the less understanding that's going to create. 
and the less of an effective system for actually treating people and helping people not only get out of pain, but get back into pain less often. So I think it's really, really, really important that what you just did there was like, hey, I actually fucking get it because you, you really well assess the situation. It's like they don't see a lot of people having all these transformations. They didn't walk into Ben Patrick's gym and see that dude throwing down windmill, windmill dunk. So their perception of maybe what's possible is what based on what they've been seeing. That's a logical thing. And the fact that we're now discovering that more is possible simply means that we need to work together more, not start to fucking name call each other even more. Yeah, 100%. Like I'm willing to give the majority of people the benefit of the doubt that they're doing the best that they can to try and help people. And so like we may disagree on kind of what that what that is or even what's possible for those people. But to your points, like we need that bridge more than anything. Like one of the things we talked to them about in the beginning, at least for the ACL stuff specifically, is that the reason people are one of the reasons people are falling, like are having so many of these re-injuries is because of that gap. There's mm-hmm. just that distance between the the doctors, the physical therapy, that medical camp, and the personal trainer, strength and conditioning coach, like they're just they're too far apart. And it's the athletes that are trying to like get stuck in the middle, trying to figure that that figure that out for themselves. And so they're the ones that are are suffering because we can't figure out how to how to communicate better, how to work how to work better together. And so yeah, it takes a little bit of like yeah, like you said, not not name calling, like just recognizing that we're all trying to do the best that we can, and the more that we can talk and communicate and collaborate, the the better it's going to be for for them on the back end. Yeah, man. It's it's so it's so awesome to hear as well the kind of results that you're able to have with this with the skier as well completely remotely. This is something that I sometimes have people come to me. I do mostly online coaching as well, and a lot of the concerns are: Am I just going to be dancing in front of a Zoom screen? You know, like am I, am I pointing at things on TikTok or some shit like that? Like, you know, like is there so there's only so much like online is almost a step down from being in person. And I understand there's some things that you can't do online, like, like over like with a remote program. But there's also some advantages as well. So I'd love to hear, like, if there's anyone who kind of feels disempowered, they're like, I don't have someone in my immediate vicinity to go to that can help me in this way. What was that process like of you maybe stepping the skier through and and probably most importantly, helping her find that level of training for herself that was not going to re-injure her in what she was doing, but was going to be significant enough intensity? How did you help her find that gap? So the biggest thing, because like you said, it is definitely more of a challenge to do this stuff remotely than it is to do in person. I still do both. I really enjoy the in person. Um, but it's also you get the opportunity to reach more people remotely. I never would have met this girl in the first place if we were working and if I was only doing the stuff that I do in person and maybe she would have had that 10th entry. Who knows? And so that's the the kind of blessing and the curse of you get to reach more people, but it is mm-hmm. definitely more of a challenge. The biggest thing around that for me is just trying to do more of the education piece. So all the things that we just talked about, about that, that line in the sand, that point point, that pain point in particular, um, like creating, like, so for me, I have a bunch of like presentations that they go through in the onboarding that explain some of the ideas that I need them to kind of take to heart. Some of the principles that we're going to focus on, um, some of the training philosophies that we're going to do, why we're doing so much weird stuff that's different than everything they've told them before. Um, so to really like just to try and that, that education and that buy-in piece that I would normally occur like organically if we're in person, like as we're, as we're going through stuff, like I'm sure you probably ex- experience the same thing, but you're talking them through of kind of why they're doing stuff like, Oh, why does the sled make my knees feel better? Because we get just that concentric only loading. There's no load on the joint. It's just blood flow. And so just all of these things, just trying to kind of think through and recognize the problems or the challenges they're going to, people are going to have in creating solutions for them ahead of time. And then just being there for them as they go through it. And so just as just recognizing things are going to come up and just kind of fixing them as they go. So maybe one day she pushes a little bit too much and like, it's a little bit painful. And the next day she's not feeling so good. Like, okay, we have that dialogue. Maybe you push too much lesson learned and we go again. And so that's one of the things with just the recovery process in general with stuff like this, that there's always going to be like good days and bad days, even when we're doing amazing stuff for some reason, like one day you're going to wake up and your knee's not going to feel as good as good as it did the day before. And that's just like, that's just par for the course. It doesn't mean that all hope is lost and that, oh my God, we're going backwards, but to try and zoom out and maybe day to day, it looks like this, but over time, as long as we're trending upwards over weeks, over months, like, can we see consistent progress? And so just recognizing that remotely, maybe just because the the communication is, is slightly slower, maybe in person, 
set one, ooh, that doesn't feel so good. I can adjust and then set two now feels better versus remotely, maybe that's day one, day two. Because they have to go through, because I don't do stuff live. So I'll actually like, they'll mm. go through the workout and they'll send me videos and stuff. So they'll get me like, hey, today felt good. Um, today didn't feel so good. I'll give them feedback. And so just that, that communication uh, time, that lag is a little bit longer. Um, but does that mean we can't do things? No, we just recognize that that's maybe part of the, that's kind of part of the process. Do as much as we can kind of education up, up front about some of the roadblocks that they're going to hit. And then just try and deal things, deal with things as they come up. Yeah, dude, I really like that perspective. And and for me, actually, one of the things that I almost like more about online, and this is probably more appropriate. There's probably again a higher, excuse me, a higher, I guess, cost. You know what I mean when you're talking about knee rehab. There's more that can go wrong, but at the same time, even for skill based stuff, even for helping people get out of like elbow, wrist pain, shoulder pain, that kind of stuff that I do online, I almost like the I almost like the fact that there's that delay because what I've found is that people are almost forced to take charge of their own learning about their own movements more so than some people who will, and there's nothing wrong with this as well. It's better than doing nothing, but someone that will go and just kind of be like, I just want to be told what to do and then leave. I've also seen early on where I think I didn't do enough of the education stuff when I was first starting out as a coach. I felt like some people left working with me after a couple of blocks and didn't really carry that forwards. Whereas I'm really confident now that when people leave after doing two, three blocks with me, that they feel way more confident in how to basically move around, how to manage their own injuries, how to stop themselves from getting re-injured again, and how to keep themselves progressing in a way because they've done that so many times, but they were invested in the process as well. And that's something I really, really like about online remote coaching. Again, not done live. I don't also do the Zoom thing as well, but it's almost like I'm forced to learn about the movements themselves. I'm forced to learn about the principles. I'm forced to inquire a little bit deeper because I don't have that immediate sounding board. The answers come, but it's almost like I've got to do the work myself first. And there's something I also found in business and everywhere first. It's like when I do the work and do the reps myself first and then go looking for answers afterwards, I get to tie that intellectual knowledge to a body of experience that helps me actually understand it properly. And then I can build even an even higher base after that. That's what I really like about the online coaching side of things. Oh man, that's, that's so interesting. I love, there's so many things about that, that, that very, very last point that you finished with is something that Hormozzi has talked about a ton, which I really, really like of like, yeah. So you want to learn any skill, you want to learn sales, like go try and do a hundred sales calls and then read a book instead of like, we start reading a book and yeah, you have no context around any of that. So I, I love that from like a skill acquisition and just learning piece. But honestly, I had never thought about that, that point about the about how that delayed communication could be a benefit of like it, like you said, it forces people to figure stuff out. Cause yeah, there'll be a lot of days where the message I wake up to is, Hey, I had this issue, but then I did this and I fixed it. (laughs) So yeah, like to your point of it forces them to problem solve and to figure stuff out and to solve some problems that otherwise, like you said, I would have solved for them in person. And it just makes me think like, especially in like a lot of the, the collegiate settings, whether it's strength conditioning, whether it's like, actual team sports stuff where I come from, like things are so regimented to a point where we just take away that, mm. that learning, that figuring out process for, for the athlete. Like how many times do you see videos of 30 guys lined up and everything is done on the whistle, every single little movement. Like they don't have to think about anything. There's no problem solving. Like it's just down to a T and yeah, that's, I mean, that's what it is to be an athlete at the end of the day. Like that's why the guys that are the most athletic, they're, the best problem solvers more than like the ones that are running the best 40 time. And so that's just a a very interesting aside too, that I hadn't really thought about. Um, The last thing for me too, like one of the biggest advantages for me, at least the stuff that I do specifically online is allowing to get more frequency as well. So one of the challenges with like the insurance based stuff or the face-to-face stuff, like when you're paying like in person um, is just having to, to cram so much stuff. And I'm like, look, like if we can do stuff six days a week, because you're paying for a a program or a result even more so. Like, I don't worry about how we're going to get there. Like, we're just going to mm-hmm. get there. And so, yeah, the opportunity to just have little micro sessions and just get, especially in that, that rehab and recovery return to sport process, like, it seems to be something that the body really, really likes, a lot of micro sessions instead of just smashing yourself once and then coming back a few days later. Um, and so that's, that's just another advantage, too, of us not having to do stuff face-to-face 
is we almost, there's certain situations where we actually get to do more than if we were kind of face to face. Hundred percent, dude. I think this is a really, really you've just touched on a really important relationship between intensity and frequency. In general, as a training, whether it's post rehab, whether it's in general, if you're able, like a new trainee, cannot generate as much intensity as someone who's been training for ten years, because they know how to generate so much more intensity. So therefore, the kinds of people who can do the once a week workouts and still make a lot of progress are generally able to recruit a high amount of their motor units. They're able to put their body through a large amount of work and intensity because they're so well-versed in moving their body and training their body that they can handle very high loads, they can do a lot of damage with the skill that they have, with the muscle mass and the strength that they have, and therefore they can rec- they can do enough so that, that that kind of, you know, maybe they take fucking four steps backwards, but then they're taking five steps backwards in the recovery over the next week. And I think that it's really important to understand that when you're just coming off an injury, you're, yes, we want intensity, but your ability to produce overall intensity is much lower. And so... There's only so much that we can do once a week. Now, of course, you can still do a lot because sometimes you don't need as much intensity in the beginning, especially if you're just starting out. But sometimes being able to do something more frequently as well in the beginning will help you get a little bit more adaptation sooner, especially when it comes to blood flow type stuff, coming off an injury. Chronic injuries are exactly the same as well. If you're having some elbow pain and stuff like that, doing one little bit of rehab once a week might not be enough or getting one massage once a week might not be enough if you're also working at a keyboard. But that constant movement, that constant signal that you don't need to be afraid of this. You can pump some blood through it as well. You can deliver the nutrients, all the, the great stuff that we do when we move. It's also really, really valuable that if you're able to get yourself in a situation where you can have that guided movement regularly, you're going to be able to do a lot of good work. Yeah, 100%. I mean, just even like you said, like the sled, just like that blood flow piece and to do that daily does such good things, especially in the early stages. And then it's interesting too, because even at like the highest level, like somebody like Nico at the the Bali Time Chamber, like with like the dense strength protocols of like that's what mm. that's what that is for in a nutshell. Like he's doing stuff every single day, but like it's time stuff, like it's and it's a way to just get more volume in, get more repetitions in. Like if you think about even if you think about strength as a skill, but skills in general, just the person who's able to put more quality time in more practice in is going to be the one that gets better. Kobe talks about that with his like summer off season stuff of like training four times a day versus twice a day. Like these guys are never going to catch me ever. And so, yeah, the more opportunities that we have to do that, it's definitely better. And it's, it's interesting that it can, it can be applied at both ends, like the highest level of sport and skill and athleticism. And even just that entry level of fresh off of uh, injury or surgery or whatever it is like that's there's, there's opportunities to, there's opportunities to get better, no matter what your situation is, that may be even like an overarching theme of, of all of this stuff, whether if it's in person, awesome. We get the hand, the face to face, like that hands-on interaction, we really get to push you. If it's remote, awesome. We get more frequency, more repetition, but just like, can you find ways to win rather than find ways not to start or not to do stuff like that can be one of the, one, one of the biggest things that can make all the difference. Very, very well said, dude. Can you find ways to win rather than find ways not to start? I love that. And that's that's pretty much all the whole fucking game is, dude. As long as you're like, even if you have another knee surgery, a knee injury, you have another knee surgery, it's like, are you still in the game? Are you still building towards that future that you desire for yourself? And I love that you said- And from that- Yeah, go. Go ahead. I was just going to say from that that coaching side of things, like that's my, that's my entire thought process of how yes. I'm working with these guys, especially, the early, especially in the early stage of like, okay, you can't do all of these things. We can't load the knee. And this is more for like the coaches rather than the athletes of like, what would I do with somebody like that of find something they can win at. And so like this, this guy that was four weeks off, like couldn't do anything. Like we could smash him on the treadmill. We're doing two minute intervals. And like, he's absolutely dying. Like stoked that he's got his knee moving again. It's like, and then we're blasting his calves, like absolutely out of his mind. And so we got a huge win. It's something when most people would be afraid to touch him at all. And so like, that's, that's a massive, massive piece of what, whatever it is, like, I don't have the, the skill sets or the anatomy knowledge of like a physical therapist or a doctor in terms of just knowing all of the, the insertions and the tiny little thing and like addressing your specific tiny, like injury of like, what do we need to do for that? But I know like how much of a win can we get in as close to that area as possible? And then if we stack those up over time, like things get better. And that's like, yes. that's the approach in a nutshell. Like, and it, it can 
it, of course, is more complicated than that. And it can also be that simple as well. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, it's just both. And I really like what you said about it being the kind of the same principle almost in the beginning as at the higher levels as well, those principles, intensity and frequency. Like it's all the kind of same thing. Obviously, there is very, very much from when you start, from when you were advanced, but they're the same kind of things. We're just playing with those principles of like how much quality work can I get done? And I think the really key that many people sometimes forget when they hear Kobe Bryant talking about training four times a day or talking about David Goggins running a billion miles every you know hour is like, can you still recover from that? And if the answer is yes, then you're going to keep on going. And you wrote a really good post, uh, I think I actually messaged you about. Um, it was kind of talking about how there's two different types of athletes when it comes to rehab. There's the guy who's just going to put his head down and just knuckle through absolutely anything and just not stop, but including pain. And that guy's going to set himself way back and he needs maybe some more measurement. He needs some more self-control where there's another, you know, another athlete. She might be really, you know, or he might be really worried about any kind of sort of pain. And then, you know, it's not needed to push himself a little bit further. So what level of intensity is appropriate do you have like a, you know, do you have like a go out of 10 kind of system for what level of pain is appropriate for someone if they want to take some of these principles and put them into practice themselves? I love zero. I'll, I'll go up to, I'll tolerate two in certain, in certain, uh, like instances. Um, but even with that, I would like to see that it gets better as we go. Nice. So that's the one kind of caveat with like pain stuff of like sometimes like the first couple reps don't feel amazing, but as you go, it gets a little bit better. Um, and so as long as like kind of directionally, it's, it's trending better. But I also like that you even asked like the, the pain scale, the um, like kind of zero to 10, because that objective feedback and like having that, that two out of 10 is something that I've learned to include uh, later on because <laughs> I'd be like, like, does it hurt? And they're like, ah, like a little, it's fine. And then, like later on, I'd be like, "So, like, scale of one to ten, and like a five. And yeah. I'm like, "A five. <laughs> like, realizing that these people could not be trusted to left to their own devices. <laughs> so, yeah, needing a needing a more objective measure like that. So, in general, and especially remotely too, when I don't have the ability to like really kind of dial in stuff and and be um, more hands on, I, I love a zero. And the closer we can get to that, the better. But if things are just, and I think the majority of times that's actually possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've there's been very very limited examples where we just couldn't get things. No matter what we did, we couldn't get things to to go away entirely. And then like I'll tolerate a one or a two again as long as it's getting better and not worse. Yeah. Especially it's not getting worse. That's that's a big one. Um, but yeah, like like little tools like the floss bands and stuff like that are super super effective. A great little hack for everyone that are dealing with with pain with movement. Um, but yeah, that, that zero out of 10 is ideal to all tolerate. I love that zero out of 10. I want to come back to that, but do you want to just quickly unpack the floss band hack as you see it and, and what, how you use that for maybe helping someone find a movement that is less painful in the beginning? Yeah. So like, I, I do think it's worth mentioning because they're, they're honestly just awesome. I use them so, so much with, with all the guys in my training. Um, there, yeah. So there's these voodoo floss bands. You can look them up on, on Amazon, on YouTube. There's, there's tons of stuff about them. There's quite a few theoretical benefits about them. So like Kelly Starrett, the old school, like supple leopard mobility wad guy, he's the one that really like kind of first made him popular back in like the CrossFit space. And it's funny, there's an interview with him on the Mark Bell podcast when they're asking him like, so what's the deal with these floss bands? And he's like, we don't really know. <laughs> like yeah. we've got, even he, like the OG guy, is like we've got a few theories, but like we don't know for sure. Um, but what I what I know for sure it does is it really will help people with pain. So I use them a lot with some of these deeper ranges of motion. So we talked about how that that full bending stuff can be very very effective for the joint, but a lot of times it can be a little stiff, a little tender, a little challenging to get into, and that's where the floss bands are super super effective. So say we're trying to do a squat on a slant board or we're going all the way down and it's just, it doesn't feel quite as good as we want it to. We wrap the knee with the floss, do that same movement and that support, that compression allow takes the pain away. And so it allows you to work through that range of motion without pain, which is massive. And then we take that off and you also are getting a little bit of blood flow restriction because you've wrapped it super, super tight. And so that comes rushing back in 
it helps clear out some of that scar tissue, some of that swelling, some of that inflammation. And then the next set you do feels a little bit better. Or if we need to say we're doing four sets and it's feeling just really kind of tender, we'll wrap it up for the first one, squat as many times we're going to do, take it off, let the blood come rushing back in, wrap it up again for set two. And we'll do that for set two and then set three. And then I like to lead, take it off of the last one, kind of see what kind of progress we've gained. But dude, the amount of times I have been, gotten unsolicited advice that these are magic, like quote unquote, the amount of times people have used that word for how like effective these are for dealing with pain, it's really, really phenomenal for something that's 30 bucks, fits in your gym bag. Like I recommend every single athlete that I work with get a pair, even though I have them and we'll use them with them. They're just that helpful for, for troubleshooting certain things. What they really allow us to do in a nutshell is get access to some of these movements. Because well, like we yeah, know we nice. want to move, right? That's what we've been talking about this entire time. We want to find a way to, to move as much as we can. That's going to help things heal. But sometimes pain gets in the way. These allow us, they're just one tool that allows us to troubleshoot that, give us a little bit more access than we might have had so that the rest of our training is a little bit smoother. Um, and so that's what makes them super, super valuable in my opinion. I really like that heuristic around it's just allowing us to open up kind of, it's like work capacity. Like we, we kind of like open up a window of opportunity for us to do more work as well. And I think there's so many tools are misunderstood purely because people, some people think that there should be panacea and they're not. And so they're like, oh, those are bad. But if we just understand how to use them and what role they play in the overall arc of training, they become super powerful and super useful. And so understand that the same thing with a foam roller, same thing with like some myofascial release techniques, some same thing with Voodoo floss bands, although it's slightly different again. It's just like, it is a tool to help us open up some either pain-free range of motion to maybe down-regulate some nervous system response to get some good blood flow in to maybe reduce a little bit of yeah, like muscle like tone in a, in a, in a, in a short term in order for us to then be able to go and replace that with some kind of function strength. My thing is, I think when that, that second step doesn't happen, I think we almost become reliant on the tool or we just end up like foam rollering our way to, to doom and just nothing ever gets better. So it's like the idea is not to just like, I'm only going to voodoo floss my elbow and then do nothing else ever. It's like, no, how do we restore function? How do we build a higher and higher level of function around the joint and also above and below it so that it's more, more well supported those steps still really matter. But when we can't do the first step, stuff like the root of is super, super important for us being able to even get back to that baseline. Yeah. Like you said, it's 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 an entry point that yeah. allows us to do more stuff. But yeah, you you have to have that you have to have yeah, it is. Yeah. But you have to have that second step, like you said. And that's where a lot of people go wrong. It's like we do this so you can do the next thing, do XYZ. And yeah, a lot of people will will fail to launch that's that second step and so yeah that's part of the reason it can get such a bad rap yeah but yeah i think it all takes to that understanding which i think you spoke to really really well it's like you can just you can do it to get the kind of thing and then you can take it off and see how it feels and eventually we want to be at the stage we don't need to use it at all we don't need to be like i'm the voodoo band guy that does this with everyone all the time it's like no we use it to kind of get to here and then eventually we want to kind of take off the training wheels and and get back to doing it by ourselves yeah, 100%. That's actually a good point, too, because I do like to see my athletes use it less and less as we go. Like, yeah, it should be a sign that, yeah, like if if, we, if we're four months in and you still can't squat without the voodoo floss bands as a warm up, like maybe a problem. Like we haven't done as much as we need to. And so, yeah, that's that's a, a very good point as well. Like it's it's an entry point that we should be able to rely on less and less, just like warming up is good for you, but you should also be able to perform without it if you needed to. If somebody comes and bangs pots and pans at night, you should be able to get up and sprint. And maybe you're not there right now, but working towards that ability is only going to do good things for you. 100%, man. And also, I think the last thing I want to say on that as well is like what, like my warm-up now is different to what my, you know, it was almost like what my workout was three years ago. And that can change as well. You know what I mean? Like what is considered a warm-up, you don't need to necessarily do the same thing every single step of the way. It doesn't need to be the same boring thing for the rest of your life, but it can even grow with you as well. But yeah, man, I think one of the one of the main things I wanted to I kind of felt from you over the course of this this podcast, man, is like you're so fucking passionate about when you talk about what you do. You get fucking lit up. Like I can tell you really love this stuff. And man, this is something that I see from a lot. That's a really, it's a really, it's the thing that people want. People want to do what they love. People want to find a way to make that work. And I think you're in a really great spot with your coaching career as well. I'd love to hear you speak a little bit more 
if there's been a coach listening to this that kind of wants to be like, damn, I want to work with more people who I really care about doing that thing with them, not just kind of anyone that I really care about doing this thing. What advice would you have to someone like that to maybe start to do more of what they want as a coach? Uh, I mean, first and foremost, you should. Um, like you're going to get the best results with the people that you're you're the most passionate about. A a presentation that I've I've given before to younger coaches and like a concept that I very much like is um, the struggle becomes a story of the things that you have personally had the biggest challenges with tend to be the things you're the most equipped to be able to help people with in the future. Ben Patrick, worst knees of all time, like literally stop ten from playing basketball has an entire business helping thousands and thousands of people about how to make stronger knees. So like the things that people are often like, I don't know what I want to do, um, or I don't know what my what sets me apart, what makes me unique. Like that's those things that you have overcome, you are the most equipped to, to be able to help people with themselves. Um, so for me, it wasn't directly knees, but just getting into, into that space in general. Um, and so then as far as like kind of action steps and stuff like that's there's a lot of there's a lot of different directions to go. Like one, just try like just starting, just trying to get one person that will you can train for free in order to get a result, get experience, get testimonials, like all all of that good stuff, just to literally get started. But also to just get started in coaching in general, get as much experience as you can. Like I've been in three different collegiate weight rooms. I've been in private sports performance facilities. I've worked with mom and pop. I've worked with professional athletes. I've supervised a team of personal trainers. Like I've done so many different things that I've got a lot of coaching experience. And I think that is, is very, very invaluable. Something that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, in my opinion, like there's so much kind of glory and glamor around the, the online personal training side of things. All you need to be able to do is do things online. Um, and just create a program and then you can just go and do all these things. And it's almost thought of as like, an escape from actually having to like get in the trenches and do the work. And I think one of the things that separates me personally um, is that I'm very good at like actually coaching. Like if we get in like face to face and like I get my hands on you, like we're going to, I don't care what you have going on. We're going to be able to, like we can't talk about earlier, like find a way to win at something. Um, and so there, there's a lot of people that are, are just starting out and they're trying to skip to the step that I'm at of like, I want to have a, a brand and an online business and a program and stuff like that. And the reality is if I gave you 20, if I gave you 20 knee people right now, you don't have, you aren't equipped to be able to fix them while you maybe can help a couple, but some are going to have weird things that you haven't seen before. And so like, there's no shortcut for the experience. And so the thing that has helped me the most in probably all aspects of my life. Even back when I was trying to be a soccer player, just trying to become like a better soccer player before I even got into all the training stuff is to do as much of the thing as you possibly can. Like when I was a soccer player, I played with my team. I played with the older age group team. I went to extra practices on the weekend with like little 12 year olds and up to like 18 year olds. Like there was, there was all I did. I tried to do as much as I can. When I was in school for training, doing the things that I'm doing now, I've interned for free and, God, I don't know, like at least three or four like different facilities where I gave like an entire semester or a year of my time, like getting unpaid work experience, but just being in that environment where you can soak up as much of that as you can, finding the people who you admire on social media or in like your personal space and doing whatever it is that beg, borrow, steal to be around them, just be in that space as much as you can. That is the sort of thing that to me is the most valuable and will then also help highlight the things that you want to do. It's a lot of young coaches starting out, like even me, like when I was first getting into it, like I want to do strength and conditioning. I want to work with pro athletes. I want to do all of this. And like, it sounds nice, but then you actually get in that environment and you realize that being a college strength coach is terrible. You work 15 <laughs> hours a day for 40 grand a year. Like it's just, there's you have to get in that and experience it for itself. And the more things that you do with all of that, the more you, what, the more becomes apparent what is actually important to you. Like I did not, I stumbled into the stuff that I'm doing now. I did not set out to be the, the ACL kind of rehab guy. Like I got into, like I got into this from a performance perspective. How do I bigger, faster, stronger, run faster, jump higher? Like how do I get these guys to perform better? Um, and I've done a lot of that, but selfishly for me, 
that it's less fun to spend six months with a guy and take a 10th off of his 40 and know that I've had a 2% impact on this guy's career. Like if he was a bench player, he's probably still a bench player. If he was a stud, he's probably still a stud. And that has very little to do with me and realizing that's like being able to transform some of these people's lives has been selfishly much more fulfilling for, for me of like the, the things that people tell me, like the thank yous that I get and stuff like that. Like that stuff is, is priceless. And that's why I've gone more of this route. Um, but it's a, it's a roundabout journey to get there. Like most of the people that you admire that are doing the things that you want to do probably didn't start off with that in mind. They've done these 15 other things and that sort of stuff. Like the things you pick up from that are, are invaluable. And so the more you can just be in all of these spaces, give your time, like learn, study, just be a sponge, like soak this stuff up, like be a good student of the game, whatever your game is. That's the thing that to me is, is more important than anything else and the stuff that you even look back on and appreciate the most. That is a fucking great answer, dude. That was, that was awesome. And I love what, even just what you started with because I think there was, you gave so many actionable tips, but it has to start with the belief that it's possible and the belief that you should. Because otherwise, the opportunities that present themselves for you to go deeper or for you to maybe go towards something that maybe scares you a little bit, be like, fuck, that'd be amazing. If you don't believe it's possible, if you don't believe that you should or believe that you kind of just should keep on going with whatever you've got, that's what you want. Fucking awesome. But if you want more and you want to work with more kind of people that you really, really are passionate about, it's like you have to start by believing it's possible. And then no matter if you believe it's possible or you believe that you're God's gift to, I don't know, like ankles, if you don't get in the gym and actually do the work and do a billion reps of actually doing the thing as well, one, the clarity that you desire about what you want to do and how to get there, you get that, I believe, through the action bias and through the osmosis and getting so many reps in your body that you're just like, oh, of course, that's what I want to do. Uh, the stuff, I, I was so, so, so like hamstrung by the lack of knowledge about how i was going to help people as a coach when i first started coaching i was like i'm everyone's like pick your niche and get online and do this free thing and release this ebook and then you'll have a billion clients and you just got to pick your niche and i had no idea how to pick i was like maybe it's working with off-season rugby players and i'd never played a game of rugby in my life but there's literally <laughs> a thing that i was like maybe this one thing with feet and and now the stuff i specialize in i couldn't even do when i started so it's like I, the, it's only on the other side of a lot of work myself and a lot of experience that has actually helped me get there as well. So that's why I really like your answer because it's not just some like looking back down the mountain and being like, it's paid ads. Or you know, it's like, it's like, no, nah, man, get in the fucking game. Just do as much of the thing that you can believe that you're capable of it. And things can often in, in a beautiful way kind of unfold for themselves. It's less, it's really like when you're starting off, like when you're starting out, it's not about trying to figure out like, what's the perfect business model or what's the perfect like clientele or niche. It's just like, how good can you get at anything like in this space of like the guys that are the most skilled in the coaching space will find a way to get paid. And so just like, what skills do you not have? Like that you could, that you could pick up, like who could you be around? Like all, all of these different things are, that's the stuff that's really going to, to move the needle. Like the, the business stuff, the results, like that stuff almost comes by accident, it's like a reward for doing the things that you know you probably should be doing. And yeah, man, like in like that process can be fun too. Like some of the the internship experience that I've had, like I I coached a, a college football team with zero certifications, experience, like nothing. My college football team was just hugely like our strength and coach staff was hugely understaffed. And so like I helped out and he was very grateful for for my help. And a few months in, he would just leave and take off. And I'm this college student with like 30 football guys in a weight room. Like, you're going to do what I say. Yeah. And like, it's it's outrageous. But that's the stuff that, yeah, you can like look back and laugh on and appreciate. Like some of my best memories were training people in a park with a sandbag for a sled that were paying me 20 bucks a week for sessions. Like, this is the sort of thing that, yeah, kind of makes makes everything else. Um, and so that's the part that, that people try to skip, but I mean, that's where a lot of the, the sweetness is the fulfillment, the fun, the, the stories when you're looking back. So yeah, that can be, that can be the best part sometimes. That's such a great light to shed it in as well, because I think it can be scary. And I think it, it is, and I know for myself early on, it was scary for me to consider that maybe I wasn't quote unquote valuable enough as a coach to have the kind of success that I wanted. 
And I think it's, that was because of my maybe misunderstanding about what that value is. Like, of course, as a person, it doesn't say anything about me as a person. But I don't know if you're familiar with that book, Mindset, by Dr. Carol Dweck, The Fixed Mindset and the Gross Mindset. It's the, it's the idea that if you tie your beliefs in, sorry, if you tie your abilities to who you are as a person, it's like, oh, I'm a talented coach or I'm not a talented coach. There's kind of fuck all you can do about that because it's tied to your identity. But if you believe that if you have more of a growth mindset and you believe that, well, whoever I am, I'm fucking, I'm all right, I'm doing good, but I just don't have these certain skill sets yet. I don't have enough experience. And if I just go and work on this, if I practice this instrument, or if I get more experience coaching a lot more people, I'm going to be a lot better at that. And I'm not going to be a fucking magically better person, but I am going to be more competent at this thing. And that's going to help me have more of the success that I desire. I think the more and more that early on, we can kind of almost stop asking myself like, am I capable of this? Or am I worthy of this success? Or should people really trust in me? And it's like, no, nah, man, like they will when you get the experience for them to trust in you about that thing. It doesn't say anything about you as a person. It's more just like, how can you just get yourself in the game of doing the fucking reps? And many, many things take care of themselves after that. Yeah, exactly. Like in the beginning, like you probably weren't good enough. You probably didn't know anything. And like, and that's okay. <laughs> and, yeah, and then you get around and like, by the time you get to that point where like you're, that question's not even not even there anymore. Um, of like that's that's I doubt something that you ask yourself now. Like you're yes. on to like it's so much more focused too on like how can I actually help people? Like the the center of focus is less internal and that that nice. imposter syndrome and it's turned outwards of like what can I actually do for other people? And that's when you like get all of get all of the rewards on on the back end. Really, really well said. And uh, like I said, I think sorry, like you said, I think that only comes from just enough experience at the point where you're just like oh all of my experience would kind of say this about what i've seen and stuff like that so you can you can just draw upon that well yeah and that's the example that i gave with the the skier earlier of like the the client that comes in of like how do i know all this weird shit is going to work like well i worked with somebody worse than you and it did like it's like it's hormozy's example of like the the confidence doesn't come from just that affirmations idea of just looking in the mirror and being like i'm great i'm great i'm great but it's having that's I don't know exactly how he phrases it, but the the stack of undeniable proof that you've actually done the things that you said you can, and then that that confidence, that insecurity, like that's it's not an issue because you it's not a something you're trying to convince people of. It's like you genuinely know. And so, like for me, like people coming in for consultations of like if they have doubts about me or the process, like it doesn't bother me at all because like I know that if they do the thing, like it's they're going to get better. And so that's such a better place to be like a place of strength to be coming from of it's just, yeah, like you, I don't care if you don't believe in the things that I do, because like, I'm quite confident that it can work. Um, and so, yeah, like that's, that's the the place that you get to once you've done those, those 10,000 reps, like all of that stuff. Well, dude, this has been fucking epic, man. I've really enjoyed your, your perspective on this stuff is super refreshing as well. There's a lot of kind of hype and stuff in the knee space right now and i just it's really been nice to hear you kind of cut through a lot of that and just get back to like how do people actually get to the point where they can help themselves and almost like take it down from this like oh my god everything's amazing and just do a sled and you'll be fixed overnight it's like no man there's like there's real work there's real pain there's real nuance but here's a system that can really work man so thanks so much for coming on dude and if someone feels drawn to reach out to you to maybe work with you on some knee stuff or just wants to see more of what you got on offer where can they go to do that yeah, well, thanks so much for having me, man. This has definitely been uh, it's been an awesome, awesome conversation. It's definitely been fun to to relive some of the stuff like coming up too. Like it's been it's been firing me up, like inspiration wise yeah, of, of all the things to to look back on on where we've come from to get here. Um, but Instagram is the best place. Zach Woodward ATP. It's just a Z A K, no C's or anything like that. That's the easiest place. Reach out, send me a message if you got questions or anything like that it's a good place to to see more about all of the the fun weird stuff that we do as well so thank you again for having me my friend epic dude